prayer time, for God's protection over our country, that we would continue to have the freedoms that we enjoy, the freedom even to gather here as Christians to worship. It is a freedom that not everyone in the world enjoys, and it's easy to kind of forget that, isn't it, sometimes? But yet we can gather here without fear, without fear that the government will come in and shut us down, or without fear that we're doing something illegal, but we have the freedom to proclaim Christ as Savior and Lord. We have a freedom that this country was founded upon, the freedom of expression of our religion and our faith. But you know, on Friday, you probably saw on the news that there were gunmen that opened fire on a bus full of Christians in Egypt. Did you hear about that? Of course, we know about the terrorist bombing in Manchester, but I noticed that uh, Claudia and I were talking about this. That happened on Friday, the, the, um, the attack on the, the dozens of Christians, dozens who died in Egypt on that bus. But um, on Saturday, yesterday, I went to look for some more information about it, and I couldn't quite find anything. It wasn't in the news anymore. And it was disheartening to see how it was sort of just a, a news flash on Friday when it happened, and then it was just sidelined and put away. And do you know that, um, that acts, of, acts of violence against Christians in Egypt is escalating, but not, also, not only in Egypt, but around the world? A few weeks ago, we talked all about persecution. I don't know if you remember that, but was um, a message as we were going through Acts and we looked at Paul being persecuted when he was stoned and they were being driven out of different towns. And, and I talked about persecution and what that looks like in the life of a Christian, but we can't truly understand, perhaps in this country, what it would be like to be in a bus full of brothers and sisters and be afraid for our very safety each and every day. At the end of last year, 2016, there was some research that came out from the Center for Studies on New Religions. It's uh, based in Italy. And they were citing some statistics that was compiled by Gordon Conwell uh, Seminary that's up in New England. And they found that between 90 and 100,000 Christians, that's our brothers and sisters, between 90 and 100,000 Christians were killed in 2016, and that has become the average. That is about one every six minutes. That there is a brother or sister somewhere in the world that is killed because of their faith. You'll see a website that's going to be up on the screen for you. This is a website I showed also during that message on persecution. It's called Open Doors. And they have a, a very popular list that they keep updated constantly, the World Watch List. And so you can go to their website, Open Doors, and you can go to this World Watch List, and it gives you, if you scroll down, you can see it gives you a map of the world, and you can click on any of those places 
where Christians are being persecuted, and it'll give you specific details about what's going on, even up to the minute in those countries. And you can see not only how many of them there are, but some of the ones that are listed first. That's amazing, even countries you wouldn't think about. But it's a great resource to be able to check on because you know what? It will lead us to pray. To lead us to pray and to continually be thankful for the freedoms that we have in this country to express our faith just like we're doing right now. So it's important that we do what we just did and take the opportunity to pray and to say thank you for those who have served and given the ultimate sacrifice. And you know what? Today we're going to look at Acts chapter 16. It's where we are in our study. It's verses 11 through 40 in Acts 16. And once again, like we have many times, we're going to see firsthand the persecution of the early church. See, what's going on around the world today and what that website of Open Doors and the World Watch List shows is nothing new. Did you know that? It's nothing new. It might happen in different ways with different weapons and different strategies and tactics by different enemies. But persecution began from day one. Was not our Lord and Savior Jesus, who our faith is of course based upon, was He not persecuted to death on the cross? And it started there. And we see even in Acts, we, we saw it early on a few times already about the persecution of the early church and the apostles who were going to simply preach the gospel. We saw Peter get thrown in jail. We saw Paul get stoned. And we saw apostles getting kicked out of different areas and regions of countries. And today's passage is no different. There's a lot that's going to happen in this story today that I'm going to read in just a moment from Acts 16. And I'm going to highlight a few things. But let's notice this. The overall theme is this. God has a plan for his church is not the theme of our whole series in acts the church on a mission or the unstoppable mission of the church it is because god through the holy spirit is moving and advancing the church and the gospel will never never be thwarted no matter what kind of terrorism happens in the world no matter what kind of persecution there is Christ tells us very clearly that we are to be ready for it and to expect it in our lives and in our churches. So we may not experience persecution in our world, in our communities, like those of our brothers and sisters in Egypt did on Friday. But all the more reason that we should be praying for them. Am I right? So we can use resources like that list to go on and find out what's going on around the world so we can pray. But let's remember that even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of suffering and trials, God has a plan. And He is behind the scenes working it all out. So I'm going to read for you Acts 16. It's 11 through 40. We're going to meet Lydia. We're going to meet a 
a Roman uh, jailer. We're going to see how God has a plan through all that is happening. Let me pray for us first. Father, thank you for the powerful word that you have in front of us this morning. God, would you speak to us through it? Would you help us to always remember that there is power in these words, that these words are alive, they are active, that they are changing us, that as we read them, we are growing and being transformed by the renewing of our minds, and we thank you for that. So God, we ask that that would happen this morning, that as we read your word and study it and look at it, God, that you would transform us, that you would change us from the inside out. So that we would draw closer to you, that we would trust in you more, that we would pray to you more and more. And God, we're asking these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And so we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, then come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So then about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do? to be saved and they said believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved you and your household and they spoke the word of the lord to him and to all who were in his house verse 33 and he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds then he was baptized at once he and and all his family Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out in secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. So the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison. They visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and then departed. Pretty cool story, right? So there's a lot happening there. So we're going to unpack it and just highlight a few things. But most importantly, I, I do want us to see how through it all, God is working out his plan. He does the same thing in our lives. So we see that Lydia, a woman they met, and her whole household become believers. Then there is a servant girl who has the spirit of divination, making a lot of money for her owners, and she is healed by Paul. But then it leads these owners to get upset because now they don't have a way of making money, right? So those owners, they start persecuting Paul and Silas and drag them out. So then Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown in jail. But then we see another jail miracle here happen. We saw one with Peter, right? But this time there's a great earthquake, a supernatural event. The jailer is converted and his household too. The word and the gospel is spreading. But then Paul and Silas, knowing they could go free, they actually demand an apology. And they get it from the leaders, and then they go free. And then as it says often, they encouraged the brothers and sisters before they left. They encouraged the brothers and sisters before they left. So let's go through this, just a few points. 
And then I just want to, to end with one final kind of overall point, okay? So let's, let's uh, look at a, a few things here that are really interesting that we don't want to miss. Lydia's conversion is a great example of the sovereignty of God in the way of salvation. That salvation has nothing to do with our good works, that it's all about grace. We've talked about it over and over again. That it's an underlying theme of Acts, right? That there were those Judaizers who were trying to bring the law back into justification and salvation. And Paul fought fought hard against that. But we see here very clearly that it is only when God draws someone to Himself that we then simply reach out and believe. It says... In verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said about Paul. So when we pray that God gives us those divine appointments to share the gospel, let us pray that God is preparing hearts and minds to hear his word. Because that's what God did with Lydia. And it says it very clearly that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. We know elsewhere in Scripture it tells us that those who are not yet believers, their hearts are hardened. Right? And there's a veil that separates them from the truth and not being able to understand the truth. It is only God, and listen, this is important, it is only God who can remove that veil. Right? We cannot earn our own salvation. So this is very clear that God was the one who set that in motion by opening the heart of Lydia to pay attention. But then it tells us that her whole household became believers. She obviously shared her faith with her family. The Word was taught and preached. But she also, I'm sure, went and shared with her family how excited she was that she had a new heart and a new life. And she was transformed. Are we doing that in our families? Are we sharing our faith in Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation with those that we love the most? Sometimes it's the most difficult thing to do. Sometimes it's easier to share the gospel with strangers, isn't it? Than with family members. But here's what I would say to that. Just as an encouragement, don't give up. Don't give up. You know what I pray? I pray often for family members that are not yet believers. I pray that God would bring other brothers and sisters in the Lord into their lives. They've heard it enough from me, right? So pray that those that you love the most that are not yet believers, that God would bring Christians into their lives other than you. Somebody that maybe speaks their language and and does the things they do and runs in the circles they do that can really sort of give a testimony unlike your own. Pray that. I remember um, when Claudia and I met her, she's the oldest and her siblings are really young and, when, uh, and we were fairly new believers and I remember that all of her siblings, every one of them would mock her and make fun of her. Even, it was their older sister, make fun of her for her newfound faith and her passion and her excitement. But she prayed for them. We prayed for them, and one by one, they all came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
What a great blessing. But we didn't give up praying. We don't know what God's timing is. Again, through all of this, even that kind of persecution, God has a plan. And it's in His timing. But don't give up praying for your family. The next thing we notice is that baptism almost always immediately follows a profession of faith. Did you ever notice that? We see that happen here with Lydia, but we also see that it happens with the jailer and his family. So they believed and they were baptized. If you're a believer and a follower of Christ and you haven't been baptized yet, why is that? I'm just asking. If you look at the model in Scripture, there was hardly ever a wait. If there was, it was an exception for some reason. But almost always you see those making a profession of faith and then they are baptized. I mean, what are the two commandments of the Lord Jesus to His church that we would baptize and that we would remember Him in the communion table, right? And so, we who are followers of Christ and make that profession of faith in Jesus are to be baptized. Jesus commanded it. And I don't see anywhere in there where there's some kind of waiting period. You don't need to apply for a license or take a test, right? You make the profession of faith and then you can be baptized. Because what is baptism? It is a public profession of a change that has already happened in your life, right? There's nothing magical about it, but it's an ordinance of Christ. It's something that He tells the church to do, to be baptized and baptize new believers. Because we are to be a testimony to our family and friends and to the community around us that we are new people. We do that by being baptized. And we know the symbolism, of course, in going under the water, being fully immersed and then coming up, right? Being dead to Christ and then alive in Him. It's a beautiful picture. And so if you have yet to be baptized and you've made that profession of faith, would you come and see me after service? I'd love to have a baptism service coming up soon. There's a couple I've already been talking to, a few people, and we'd love to just maybe have a whole service of baptisms. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right? But just think about that. Consider that. Baptism almost always followed immediately right after the profession. Uh, a next one. After Lydia believes, she immediately wants to grow and serve. Did you notice that? In verse 15, do you see what it says? It says, after she was baptized, and her whole house as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful, and the Lord come to my house and stay, and it says she prevailed upon us. What do you think that means? She was probably insistent. That's what I think. She was pretty persistent. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. She not only wanted to feed them and serve, but I'm sure she wanted to hear more about Jesus Christ. We've seen evidence of that elsewhere. Right? We're even in Cornelius' house. They came and they stayed and they taught and discipled them. It's the same thing. That once you make that profession of faith and you're baptized, you want to learn. You want to learn all about Jesus. You want to learn all about this God of the Bible. That you are now trusting with your very soul. That there is this desire to learn. But that desire to learn and to grow... And then serve. She immediately wanted to serve them. That should never cease until the Lord returns for us. That we should always be learning and growing and wanting to serve. I say it all the time. There's many ways 
to get involved here at Trinity. There's many ways to serve the Lord. How is it that you're going to get involved? It's really not a question of, would you like to? It's, when are you going to? How about that? (laughs) I like that a little better. But you see what happened with Lydia? She made a profession of faith. She was baptized immediately. She started serving right away. She said, come and teach me and I'll serve you some food and I'll be hospitable and let, let you stay at our house. How about what happened with the slave girl? Isn't that interesting? I mean, her owners knew that they had, they had, they had money right there. Because they were making a living off of the fact that she was actually possessed. It said she had the spirit of divination, that she was like a fortune teller. And they were making a fortune off of her. And so, it's, it's kind of funny the way it's worded, but it says that she was continually saying these words. Even in verse 17, what she was saying was true, and it was good, shouting that these are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation, but it was a testimony of a demon-possessed person. And the apostles did not want that kind of testimony. So it says, she kept doing that for many days, and Paul got greatly annoyed. So he simply cast out that spirit, and it left at once. But then, again, if we're looking at how God has a plan through it all, behind the scenes he's working it out, what happens? Paul does that and casts out the demon, and he heals this girl. But then those who were using her for profit and gain... They got so upset because now their livelihood was gone. They're the ones that started the persecution of Paul and Silas and dragged them out, had them beaten, had them brought before the magistrates and said, these are troublemakers. Let's teach them a lesson. Say they were, they were beaten with rods and they were thrown into jail. Notice it's interesting. It was just Paul and Silas. Did you happen to wonder what was going on with Timothy and Luke? Remember last week we were talking about they were all together. Well, Paul and Silas, they were clearly Jewish. They were clearly Hebrews. But Timothy and Luke were not. Timothy was half. Luke was not. He was a Gentile. There was persecution of the Jews. There was persecution of the Hebrews right there in that city. They were being persecuted for who they were, for their faith, and then, of course, now for their newfound faith in Christ. They were being persecuted for their religion. So that led to them being thrown into jail. But then, of course, we see, what does that lead to? That leads to them meeting this jailer who is converted, him and his whole household. Do you see how God is, and we see it over and over again in Scripture, that God is taking what was meant for evil and destruction and using it for good. Is that awesome? God will continue to do that in your life. When you feel like, you have that feeling that perhaps God has left, left you or He's silent and you don't know what's going on. Just remember He is still alive and active and loving you and working behind the scenes, orchestrating everything, all the details in your life. Because what He wants for you is hope and goodness. And He's got those good plans for you. And He's continuing to work that out. And all your job is, is to trust and obey. That's pretty simple, right? That's like the hardest thing to do. But that's what we're called to do. As he's working out all the details, we are to trust and obey. So, I think Paul and Silas were doing just that. Because what does it say that they were doing 
in the prison, singing, praying. Would you do that if you were thrown into prison? I don't know. Bob? (laughs) I mean, but that's what they were doing. And you know what? Their worship was a testimony. Because it says that they were worshiping and they were praying. And it says all of the other prisoners were listening. Isn't that great? It was a testimony. It was a testimony. So we should never stop worshiping God. Even when times are difficult and we're feeling disconnected from God. Even more reason to worship. Even more reason to worship. And yet I will still praise my God. And yet I will still praise Him. How about this? The jailer, after he saw what happened, we'll talk about that supernatural event in a second. But after he saw what happened, he asks them this very serious but simple and pointed question. Verses 30 to 32. You can put those back up on the screen. Here's what he says. The jailer, was. Paul stopped him from killing himself because he knew that if all the the prisoners were released that he was going to be killed because he was responsible. He was about to take his own life. Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Isn't that interesting? He said we're all still here. Even the other prisoners didn't leave. Doesn't say how or why. Maybe it was the witness of Paul and Silas. Maybe it was the fact that it was an earthquake. I don't know. But it says all the doors were opened, flung open, and their shackles were released, but yet they stayed. And so then it says this, then he brought them out and he said, the jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And here's how it happened, verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who are in his house. That is so clear, I just want to make sure that we don't gloss over that or miss it. That the Word of God was spoken. The Word of God was spoken. It was not simply the miracle. The miracle got his attention. But when he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Did you notice it didn't say anything else? It didn't say, you know, and do some good works and do this and that. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. Because if they all believe, then they will be saved too. See that? But then it says very specifically that they, meaning Paul and Silas, they spoke the word of the Lord. They taught them the meaning of the gospel and then they believed. Because the word of God was preached to them. So the Word of God was spoken. What does that mean for us? We have to share the Word. When we're sharing the Gospel, let's go right to the Scriptures. Bring your conversation back to the Lord Jesus. Show Him where it says these things in the Word of God. Because that is where the power is. The Word of God is the Word of life. Romans 10, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then it says in verse 14 of Romans 10, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And then how are they to believe in Him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless 
they are sent. Do you see the progression there? How are they going to believe if they haven't heard? How are they going to hear if someone's not telling them? And how is someone going to tell them if they're not going out and purposely and intentionally doing it? That is where we come in as the church. We don't just pass the buck and say, somebody else will lead them to the Lord. There'll be a missionary from some country that'll come and share the gospel. Maybe a pastor will do that or something. You know, they'll read a track or they'll find a Bible in the hotel. I mean, all those things God can use, but God chooses to use you to share the gospel, to plant the seed, to share the word so that people can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. A few more things will be done. When it said Paul and Silas were singing, not only does it show that their worship was a witness, but it reminds us that joy is not circumstantial. Am I right? Happiness can be based on our circumstances, but true joy in the Lord is not based on circumstances. So therefore, Paul and Cyrus had every right to be praising and praying to their God even when they were chained in the inner prison cell because they still had joy. Nothing can take away that joy, right? There's this great song, I forget who it is, maybe it's Kirk Franklin or something, and he sings this, he raps this great phrase, he says, you can't, you can't, you can't steal my joy, devil. You can't steal my joy, right? And that's true. Because that true joy that we have in the Lord is not based on whatever our circumstances are. And two final things. The gospel is for everyone. We should never discriminate when they're sharing the gospel. Now we might say, well, of course we're not going to discriminate. But just think about who it is that you share with and maybe people that you've decided, well, maybe they're too far gone. I've tried and I've tried. I've given up. There was a rich woman, Lydia. gospel was shared with her. She came to the Lord. There was a poor, demon-possessed girl. She was freed. There's a jailer who was mentioned this morning. Perhaps he didn't have such a great job. He wasn't around such positive people, was he? But then he came in contact with Paul and Silas, even a jailer, in his position, and all that he had seen, somebody you could figure whose heart would be so calloused and so just lacking of compassion for good reason, right? Yet he came to the Lord. So we should never discriminate when we're sharing the gospel. And finally, I end with this. There was that supernatural event. In verse 26, it says, this is how it all happened. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Do you believe that the God who did that is the same God today? Do you believe that He's the same God that we worship, that we were worshiping today? Do you believe that He can still perform miracles like that? God can do that. Maybe He chooses not to. Maybe He chooses to work in different ways, but God is the same God, and He doesn't change. So we should always expect great things because we serve a great God. I'll say that again. When you're praying... When you're praying, expect God to do amazing things because He is an amazing God. Now, we should make sure that we note 
that we shouldn't be then looking for miracles or signs and wonders. God can use those. But a faith that is based purely on God working miracles is a very shallow and immature faith. Because what did God use miracles for through Jesus and the apostles? It was very simply to give a testimony and to authenticate the one who was performing the miracles. Whether it was Jesus himself, it said in Acts 2, it said, men of Israel, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders. It said the same thing about the apostles. It said these are the things that mark an apostle in 2 Corinthians. Signs, wonders, and miracles. Right? But it was all to authenticate the early church and those who were performing the miracles. That they were doing it on God's behalf and no one else. But now, praise God, we have the truth of Jesus Christ and the truths taught by the apostles recorded for us in Scripture. Do we not? So we have those very words of Christ and we have the teachings of the apostles written for us in the Scriptures. So the message of Jesus and His apostles has already been attested to and recorded accurately in the Scriptures. Yes, God can and still does perform miracles. But let's remember this. Jesus performed countless miracles, but the vast majority of people still did not believe. I bet if God performed lots of miracles today, like some people want, the result would probably still be the same. You know why? People are still the same. People might be amazed and would believe in God for a short time, but it would be a shallow faith, and it would disappear the moment something unexpected or even frightening occurs. You see? If our faith is that shallow and based just upon God doing miracles in our lives, giving us a sign, God show me a sign, that is a shallow and insecure faith. Because then as soon as those waves start to toss us, we will then look for something else. The greatest miracle of all was God coming to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, a man, to die on the cross for our sins, that we could be saved. We agree that that is the greatest miracle of all. So, God can still do miracles. But what we need to do now is simply believe. As it was said to the jailer, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The Lord opened Lydia's heart He obviously did the same for the jailer. Got his attention, opened his heart, and he said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus. So perhaps you're here this morning and you've been seeking. Maybe you've been asking that same question in your very own heart. God, what must I do to be saved? The answer is clear. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Here's what it means to believe. It's really twofold. It means that you accept the facts as they are. You accept and understand with your mind that Jesus is who He says He is, that He did what He says He was going to do, what He said He was going to do. But then you put your trust in that for your eternal salvation. You see how that works? When it says believe, it's not just what they call an intellectual ascent. Okay, I believe Jesus is that person. No, it incorporates trust and faith in those facts, in the truth, that you're putting your faith and trust in the truth 
of who Jesus is and what he did for the salvation of your soul. It said in 1 Peter 9 that the outcome of your faith is the salvation of your soul. For we know that we are saved by grace. It's all from God's, His sovereign will. Through our faith, it's us believing. But it's in Christ alone. Amen. Father, we thank You for the powerful Word that You have for us today. God, there's so much in these passages. So much we could just focus on for uh, for our whole time together. But God, we thank You for introducing us to Lydia, showing us how You... You called her to yourself and opened her heart and she believed and shared it with her household. We thank you for the way you showed us that uh, your apostles to proclaim testimony of their power coming from you that even Paul then cast out that spirit. But even though it led to their, their torture and imprisonment and persecution, God, you had a plan. You were orchestrating it all. But God, thank you for that ultimate reminder that we just need to put our trust in you and obey you as our Heavenly Father and that you will take care of everything else. Father God, help us to be able to do that today. That perhaps leaving here that we can just a little bit more trust you. A little bit more have faith in you, our God. So we pray, Father, for your glory through the power of the Holy Spirit moving us but in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.